Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 102. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way of Jehovah, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We're going to take a look at the land of Damascus and Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts chapter 9. Shalom, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. On last week's episode 101 and part 5 of my series, on the Dead Sea Scrolls, I spoke largely about the history of Jerusalem's Second Temple period. Generally, it begins with a decree by the Persian King Karush, or Cyrus, conqueror of the Babylonian Empire in the early 500s BCE, which is an acronym for Before the Common Era. The Second Temple period ends with the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple in 70 of the Common Era, that's CE, under Roman Emperor Vespasianus and his son, General Titus or Titus. Now let us continue with Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 102 and part 6 in this historical overview and perspective of the way to the Damascus of Qumran. Recall from Jewish history that after a decree by Persian King Karush, or Cyrus, some 50,000 Jews set out on the first return to the land of Israel, led by Zerubbabel, a descendant of the house of Tzadok under King David. Less than 100 years later, a second return was led by the scribe Ezra. Then, over the next 400 years, the Jewish people knew varying degrees of self-rule under Persian authority and later under the authority of the Ptolemaic kingdom and the Seleucid kingdom. Yehuda, or the Yehudi Jew, was a national Hebrew nation family whose spiritual leadership was entrusted to the house of Tzedok Levitical priesthood, as this was the will of Yehovah. For a time during the Second Temple period, this priestly authority was fully in place. However, after the death of Alexander, also called Alexander the Great, all the conquered kingdoms of Alexander were split up between four of his generals at around 175 years before Yeshua. The Hellenistic Seleucid Empire began to impose Greek culture on the Jews. Well, that didn't go over too well. This mandate split up the nation politically and spiritually. Countless numbers of the population, less inclined to fight against the Greek mandates, simply caved to the new laws and whims of the Greek ruler 
Antiochus, or as some people say, Antiochus IV, also called Epiphanes. But there were others among the spiritual and political zealots who were not going to go down without a fight. And so they did. This is the Jewish history that gives us the conflicts that developed between the Maccabees, or the family of the Hashmonaim, or sometimes called the Hasmoneans, and ultimately concluding with the annual story of Hanukkah. In those turbulent decades following the rise of the Hashmonaim against the Seleucid Greek authority, the Second Temple period non-Sadakite priests would come and go, generally appointed to the position by various Greek and Roman rulers on the basis of money and merit. When the biblical house of Tzedok was repudiated for its old-fashioned biblical authority in Jerusalem, this biblical priesthood of Jehovah took off to find a new home away from the temple and Jerusalem in their day. Well, they got replaced with a new religious system of elders and teachers, prophetic judges, priests, and high priests. This is the historical and spiritual basis for what we read about after the arrival of Yeshua. However, the building up of the Jewish and Israelite spiritual and moral corruption was quite evident long before the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees. We can recall this from the prophetic days of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, which is what led Jehovah to arrange for Israel and Judah to be forcibly removed from the land and placed into their respective exiles. But as far as the collective Hebrew nation was concerned, the concept of exile from the land remained a rather painful memory etched into the psyche of their not-too-distant past. And we can easily see this through the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said the following in Jeremiah 9, 2 through 3. Oh, that I had in the Midbar, or the wilderness, which in Hebrew means the Aravah, or the dryness of the desert, oh, that I had in that desert a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me says Jehovah. And through the ministry of Yehezkiel, or Ezekiel, we learn that he was both a prophet and a priest, or a Kohen, also of the house of Tzadok. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. On the fifth day of the Chodesh, or the month, which was in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of Jehovah came expressly to Yehezkiel HaKohen, Ben Buzi, 
meaning the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, or the Kasdim, by the river Kabar. And the hand of Jehovah was upon him there. Then Ezekiel 3.27, But when I speak with you, referring to Jehovah speaking to Jehezkiel, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says Adonai, Jehovah, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Fast-forwarding through centuries of rebellions against Jehovah by the houses of Yehuda and Israel, attested to through the words of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and this is just the short list, we can fully appreciate the prophetic story that is historically set up for us. When the house of Tzedok was replaced with a new national religious system of elders and teachers, prophets, priests, and judges, and of course, high priests, with no scarcity of their own spiritual and moral corruptions, many, many new things took place. Basically, back in the day of the late Second Temple period, Jerusalem's once-established House of Tzedok priestly authority essentially came into their own land of exile. And there, they remained deeply connected to Jehovah, documenting everything for posterity's sake, while waiting patiently for the arrival of the promised Son of Yah, the Messiah, the Word. And this group of highly trained Levitical scribes, prophets, priests, and judges wrote down much and did it prolifically. In their writings, such as the Damascus document and the community rule document, also called the Manual of Discipline, they called themselves the priests of the House of Tzedok, and many of their writings carry a prophetic authority to them. So this leads me to an important question. Did the new religious system that replaced the House of Tzedok put a stop to Jerusalem's pay-to-play club of Rome and return back to the old established Torah law of Kohanim or priests appointed according to the Levitical family line of the house of Tzedok through the chosen line of Aaron? Yeah, I know that's a long question, but let me repeat it for you so you can get the gist of what I'm speaking about. Again, did the new religious system that replaced the house of Tzedok did it put a stop to Jerusalem's pay-to-play club of Rome and return back to the old established Torah law of the Kohanim or the priests who were appointed according to the Levitical line of the house of Tzedok through the chosen line of Aaron? Well, I think you have the response. Obviously, the answer is no. And why not? Because it was not meant to be. 
It was not Yehovah's will. Instead, Yehovah had a greater divine design put into place and established on the more perfect law of heaven's reality. And through the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, all that corrupt and rowdy spirituality of prior centuries, all of that was arrested. Recall that it was Yehovah who spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, saying in Jeremiah 6, 16, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, the good way, and walk in Him. Then you will find rest for your souls. And it was Yeshua who echoed this statement as it is recorded for us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Yeshua said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, which is the quote from Jeremiah 6, 16, then you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Further, Yeshua added this idea as it is recorded for us in Luke 5, 37 through 39. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. And I think we all can get an idea of what that means when you go out to a fine restaurant and you order a bottle of wine and the old vintage stuff is really the stuff that you pay a lot more money for because it's older and therefore it's better. So that's the general idea here. Now recall the word of Yehovah from Jeremiah 6.16 in saying, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, the good way, and walk in Him. Then you will find rest for your souls. But the religious leaders answered that statement by saying in Jeremiah 6.16, We will not walk in Him. Therefore, permit me to repeat Jeremiah 9.2 in its connection to Jeremiah 2.8. First, Jeremiah 2.8. The Kohanim, or the priests, did not say, Where is Jehovah? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. And once again, let's return to Jeremiah 9, 2-3. through 3. 
Oh, that I had in the Midbar or in the wilderness, that is the Arava or the dryness of the desert, a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them. Now, based on these words, the house of Tzedok settled in the Arava of the dry desert on the northwest shores of the Salt Sea. There they built a permanent New Covenant settlement with a spiritually focused House of Tzedok government, as opposed to an already corrupt, earthly-minded government, such as what Jerusalem had come to represent. For this was Paul's contention all along, writing in Galatians 4, 24 through 26. For there are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her sons. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, the idea here that Paul is referring to in Galatians 4, 24 through 26, is about a Mount Sinai that gives birth to bondage. As you know from all of the biblical history that you read, that did in fact happen when the nation of the Hebrews built up their golden calf at the base of the mountain at base camp there at Mount Sinai. While Moses ascended to the top of the mountain, what was going on at the bottom of the mountain? It was everything that took place according to the golden calf story. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 32. So that's what this is referring to as Mount Sinai giving birth to bondage. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses giving birth to bondage because that was all given at the top of the mountain when Moses ascended to Jehovah because Jehovah told him to come up where he gave him the commandments and a lot more. Given that Paul spent two years living in the Qumran community, and I will get to this shortly, Please be patient. We can clearly see some similar vocabulary when comparing Paul's statements to that of the Qumran Damascus document A, identified as CDA, and fragment 4, column 16, lines 1 through 5. I'll read that for you here. Line 1 begins with, and he will conclude the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And about this covenant, he spoke through Moses, saying, In accordance with all these words, I established with you a covenant and with all Israel. Therefore, one will impose upon himself to return to the law of Moses, for in it, 
all is defined and the exact interpretation of their ages about the blindness of Israel in all these matters, behold, it is defined in the book of the divisions of the periods, which in Hebrew is the divisions of the times, according to their jubilees and their weeks. And I want to bring your attention to that statement in line four that says, and the exact interpretation of their ages about the blindness of Israel in all these matters. If you know Paul's writings, that in and of itself should remind you what Paul was speaking about when he wrote that there was blindness in Israel. And that is why he suffered blindness on the road to Damascus, and why when he came to Damascus or Qumran, which I will explain to you shortly, there was a man whose name is Hananiah, or the grace of Yah, who took Paul's blindness away. Okay? There's a lot more going on here, and this is written about in the Damascus document, CDA. And we're going to now take a look at this idea referred to as the land of Damascus and Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to have a close look at this notion of the idea of the covenant as it is linked to Damascus and to the division of the periods or the times as it is linked to the calendrical scroll referred to as Jubilees or the book of Jubilees as well as Pentecost or Shavuot. The earliest biblical references to Damascus, which is in the land of Aram, they are found in Breshit or Genesis chapter 14 and Dvorim or Deuteronomy chapter 26. First, Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 through 15. This is about Avram and when he goes to rescue his nephew Lot. Now when Avram heard that his brother, or literally his nephew Lot, was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Chovah, which is north of Damascus. Now, it might interest you to know that there in the area where some of the tribe of Dan settled, it says that he divided his forces against them by night. So you would have to ask, why did Avram divide his forces there? Well, if you have ever been with me as your licensed tour guide in the land of Israel, I would have taken you to that area because it is there where Mount Hermon 
rises to about 9,000 something feet above sea level. In other words, that's where Mount Hermon is located. And so Avram divided his forces, meaning he sent some of his forces out to the south and east around Hermon. And then he put the rest of his forces to the north and west, and then going around Mount Hermon the other side, because the mountain was in the way. So he split them up so that they go around the mountain and meet north of Damascus in the area of Kova. And we'll take a look at this idea of Damascus when we come back on the second part of our hour program here. So stay with us. And today's program is part six of my multi-part series on the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran community. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 102. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and we're going to take a look at this idea referred to as the land of Damascus and Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts chapter 9. Now let's go to Deuteronomy or Devilim chapter 26 verse 5. My father was an Aramean. Or if you're reading it in English, it might say Syrian. And he was about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Centuries later, the land of Aram, with its principal city called Damascus, it changed hands a number of times and fell under the control of many different lands and governments. During the peak period of the Qumran community, the area of Damascus was already a legal annexation of the Roman Republic. Then afterwards, in the days of Shaul of Tarsus, also known as Paul the Apostle, the region of Aram and Damascus was converted into a large Roman imperial province. So this leads me to understand that the Qumran community would never settle in a Roman imperial province and go to a city that was crowded with a bunch of pagan people. They just wouldn't do it. That would make absolutely no sense to me given that they could not even stand all the corruption going on in Jerusalem. Today's Damascus of Syria actually still maintains the cultural tradition of Saul of Tarsus, who was transformed into Paul the Apostle of Yeshua. Today's Damascus actually preserves a chapel that is called Ananias or Hanania as it stands near the eastern end of Pasha Street, there in Damascus, 
also known as the Book of Acts street called Straight. So they're actually memorializing that street called Straight in that city of Damascus, even to this very day. But is this really where Paul was traveling to when he had his Damascus road experience as it is recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 9? As much as many would like to think so, I'm saying the answer is no. As far as I can determine, Paul's experience on the road to Damascus has no direct relationship with the city of the same name situated far to the northeast of Jerusalem in the ancient land of Aram or Syria. What is far more plausible and believable is, however, that the house of Tzadok Kohanim of biblical scripture called their settlement at Qumran Eretz Domestic, the land of Damascus. This obviously begs the question, why would their new wilderness settlement next to the poison salt sea or the Dead Sea, why would they call it Eretz Domestic or the land of Damascus? Might I submit to you the following? In Hebrew, the word Domestic or Damascus appears to be a contraction of two Hebrew words, dole, that's dalid, vav, lamed, he, dole, meaning he who draws out, and mashke, that's mem, shin, kuf, he, mashke, meaning a well-watered source to quench one's thirst for the master's law or the master's Torah. Now, when these two ideas, dole and mashke, are glued together, so to speak, we get a concept of drawing out water from a well-watered source to quench one's thirst in a dry and thirsty land. The Hebrew language appears to be related to the theme of this word contraction, dole and mashke, to mean domestic or Damascus. Now, permit me to give you some scripture references to help you see where I'm going with this. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no silver or money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend silver or money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Psalm 63, verse 1. O Elohim, or God, you are Elohai, my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And then there's Isaiah 12, 
verse 3. Uv shaftamayim besason mimane ha Yeshua. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of the salvation. The Hebrew word there is Yeshua. And let us keep in mind that Yeshua made this point when he cried out in the temple and proclaimed at the end of the Feast of Sukkot in Jerusalem this very same message. It's found in John or Yohanan 7.37-38. through 38. On the last day, the great day of the Hag or the Feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then concerning a woman from the region of the Shomron, or Samaria, there is this recorded dialogue in Yohanan, or John 9, 4 through 12. Then the woman of Shomron, or Samaria, said to him, referring to Yeshua, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Yeshua answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. There is that word, Mashke in Hebrew, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. There's that idea of dole in Hebrew. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Yaakov? or Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And finally, from the Qumran Damascus document itself, the writers of that scroll wrote the following in Damascus document B, identified as 4Q267. This is fragment 2, lines 7 through 15. Here's how it reads. God remembered the covenant with the forefathers and raised from Aaron men of knowledge and from Israel wise men and made them listen. And they dug the well, a well about which Moses said in Numbers 21, 18, a well which the princes dug which the nobles of the people inquired with the staff. The well is the law, and those who dug it are the repentant of Israel who left the land of Judah and lived in the dwellings of Damascus, all of whom God called princes, for they all sought him, and their renown has not been repudiated in anyone's mouth. And the spade 
is the interpreter of the law. Again, I just read the words that were written down for all of us in the Damascus document B, which is also 4Q267, fragment 2, lines 7 through 15. Now, pulling from this same genre of theology and teaching, we learn from Yeshua's cousin, Yohanan, or John, who had been a resident of that Qumran settlement called Damascus, but he went out to announce that Yehovah's messianic hope had arrived. Obviously, he considered the words of the prophet Isaiah at chapter 40, verses 3 through 4, as applying to himself. Here's how it reads in English from Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness or in the desert, prepare the way of Yehovah, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, many translations will oftentimes present this statement as saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, comma, prepare the way of Yehovah. But that's not the way the Hebrew is written. The pause is going to come differently. It reads in Hebrew as, the voice of one crying, comma, in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way of Yehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And Yeshua confirmed Yochanan's calling, saying in John eleven fourteen through 15, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Eliyahu, or Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. For the hearers of John's public message of repentance, as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Jehovah. I think the message was a clear sign that the new covenant coming one, that is the true teacher of righteousness, which is terminology that comes straight out of the Qumran texts, this true teacher of righteousness has indeed arrived. This would have made ample sense given that the near 37% salt waters of the Dead Sea could never quench anyone's thirst. And for those of you that have been to saltwater oceans or you live near one, the salt content of the world's oceans is about 4%. The Dead Sea waters of Israel, that water nears about 37% salts, and minerals. So you can see there's quite a difference, okay? So again, what I'm saying is that John's message would have made ample sense given that these poisoned salt waters of the Dead Sea could never, ever quench anyone's thirst. Nonetheless, in that region of the dry and thirsty land where there is no water, the paradox is unmistakable. Take a look at John or Yochanan 1, 15 through 17. John bore witness of him, referring to Yeshua, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is of a higher rank than I, 
for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua HaMashiach. So the theme of drawing water up from out of a dry and thirsty desert region to quench man's thirst for Yehovah's water of the word, that is, his grace and truth, well, this just fits perfectly the Qumran imagery of Eretz Damasic or Damascus. This Qumran community house of Tzedok Levitical group proved to be highly prolific in their writings, with much of their literary work dedicated to speaking about a final messianic redemption and a war between Jerusalem above's sons of light and Jerusalem below's wicked sons of darkness. Naturally, Paul, who had been a resident of that Torah community of the Qumran for two years, again, I'll come to this shortly, he used the same sons of light versus the sons of darkness terminology in his own writings. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.5. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And of course, Yeshua intensified that same message while echoing the identical teachings of the house of Tzedok in that Qumran community. Here it is in John 12, 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Yeshua spoke. These types of statements reflected the house of Tzedok expectation of the time that there was an ongoing spiritual war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Yeshua was the one leading the charge against the prevailing darkness. And this is actually found in the Qumran War Scroll, cataloged as 1QM in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so did Yeshua testify of this fact when he was being questioned by Roman prefect Pontius Pilate in John 18.36, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Judeans. But now my kingdom is not from here. And of course, then Pilate responds and says, Oh, so you are a king. Such a fascinating dialogue. This said, let us go forward to better understand Shaul of Tarsus and the divine calling that he had on his life. After the year-long ministry of Yeshua came and went, there was already a man of Yehovah in the making, one who was at first 100% sold out to the interests of Jerusalem's corrupt religious parties to whom he faithfully served for so many years. This one was Paul, or Shaul of Tarsus, 
from the Roman province of Cilicia in what is today part of modern-day Turkey. He was a brilliant master of Jewish thinking and yet physically quite violent against the community of the way. That is the messianic term used amongst those who were believers in Yeshua the Messiah. From Paul's own Jewish testimony, he was a committed student at the top of his Talmud Torah studies in the house of Gamliel. Paul's religious handlers in Jerusalem were growing more and more restless about the matter concerning the way as a growing sect of Judaism based in Jerusalem. Paul's Jewish masters were among those of Jerusalem's illegitimate high priests Hananiah, or Ananias, and Caiaphas, as well as the Jerusalem Sanhedrin Council of Elders, along with scribes and Pharisees. These were the ones who handed Yeshua over to his execution under the Judean Roman prefect Pontius Pilate. We learn from the book of Acts about Shaul or Paul in daringly giving his testimony to many of those among the Pharisees that already knew him well, he said in Acts 22, 3-5, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. This is about the oral law of Judaism the Torah Shabaopeh. And he goes on to say, And I was zealous toward God, as all of you are today. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, And I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, to Jerusalem to be punished. With this background, let's now briefly go on to the rest of Paul's testimony. And we'll begin with Acts 22, 7 through 10, when Paul was relating what had happened to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Master, or Adonai? He said to me, I am Yeshua of Nazareth, or Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Master? Or what shall I do, Adonai? And Adonai said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, which was the house of Tzadok's settlement at Qumran. And there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do in agreement with the words of Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying, comma, in the wilderness or desert, prepare the way of Jehovah, make straight in the desert 
a highway for our God. The terminology, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God, perfectly explains the book of Acts 9, 10 through 12, and how Yeshua spoke to a certain disciple of the house of Tzadok about Paul's experience while on the way to the Qumran, or once again, Damascus. The name of the man at Qumran was Hananiah, which means Yah's grace, or the grace of Yah. Jehovah spoke to him in a vision and said, Hananiah, arise and go to the street, or the narrow alley, called Straight, or in Hebrew, Yashar. This is matching with Isaiah 40, verse 3. And inquire at the house of Yehuda for one called Shaul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Hananiah coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. And that is a theme that you'll see repeated over and over again in the Qumran community documents of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The idea of once being blind, but now seeing. Because in that community, they spoke often about the sons of light versus the sons of darkness. And this is where I'm going to leave off for now, because the story gets even more interesting and more intensive as we move through it. But I'll pick up again on the next episode, and we'll continue where we have left off here. This is episode 102. Oh, please do navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. And, y'all willing, I'll see you next week. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. <laughs>